The title I gave to what I'm going to talk about is three words, doctrine, truth, and unity. And uh, Casey finishing with uh, talking about speaking God's truth in the midst of a very difficult situation is exactly what I want to talk about. I actually want to talk about truth. So we'll start in Matthew chapter 7. I won't read all of this, but I just wanted to, this is the sort of the baseline, if you like, for what I want to talk about. So verses, quite a lot of verses, but I'll just skip through them. It's verses 13 through to 23 of Matthew 7. And verse 13 says this, Enter you at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in that way or thereat, because straight is the gate, that means very constricted and small, for wide is the gate, sorry, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few there be that find it. Okay, so there's only going to be a few people, comparatively speaking, across the whole population of the human race that have ever lived, who actually find the way, the narrow way to life. And then there's a warning about false prophets and all sorts of different descriptions and uh, are in there, verses 15 through to 20. And 20 says, Wherefore, by their fruits, the evidence will be seen in the lives of people, whether they are speaking the truth of God or speaking something that is not the truth of God. Not everyone, and then the warning, not everyone that says to me, Lord, shall it, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And then the scary verse 23, and then will I profess to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. So not only do we have to find the way, but we have to be very diligent about staying on that way. The way which leads to life and few there be that find it. So <clears throat> the word of God is, is like a map, if you like, a, a, a guidebook to salvation, to life. Jesus is the guide because he's the only one that's been there. None of us have been to heaven and back again. He has. He knows the way. And this word is doctrine. The word of God is also becomes doctrine. And doctrine is intended as the basis on which the Christian church is unified. But as we know, the Christian church in all of its forms is not actually unified, sadly. Titus chapter 2 verses out of Titus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But speak you the things which become sound doctrine. And that follows after a verse in chapter 1, which is verse 9 of Titus 1, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to 
exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those who would argue against, to think differently, and so on. So hang on to the world, the word which becomes teaching or doctrine, becomes the fundamental of what God is trying to say to people through the vehicle of those, through the vehicle of the church. One definition I've got of doctrine is this. It is an, an established and absolutely declared principle, an immutable way of truth, an immutable and unchanging, everlasting and so on way of truth. Now, we all know that in religion, whether it's Christian or, or other forms of religious belief, uh, <coughs> does, but let's talk particularly about Christian religions. Over the centuries, the last couple of thousand years, <clears throat> the truth of the word of God, the truth and the immutability of the doctrine that God has given to us can and often does be, re has been reinterpreted and changed into things that are different, things that uh, are more comfortable in the society in which people or that particular church happens to be, whether it's a Western democratic society like ours or all of the other sorts of societies there are around the world. So there's reinterpret, reinterpretation that goes on and there is therefore that is change, of course. So that the simplicity and the immutability of the truth of the word of God that ought to become the doctrine of the church has actually been changed. So what we get in churches and in society generally, we get this wonderful word diversity, we'll come back to that in a minute, um, and sort of polluted substitutes which divide and ultimately can destroy. We get pollution, divided substitutes, polluted substitutes which can divide and do destroy, sadly. Now, diversity is an interesting thing. In our society, there's been a lot of talk and uh, argument and dispute about diversity in uh, well, aspects of, of, the, of, the, of our lives. And so you can get, of course, diversity, race, culture, opinion, about all sorts of things. And that's the way we are as human beings. We're not robots. We're not all sort of automatic beings. They're all identically the same. Thank goodness for that. There is, there is division. There is, there is difference. And diversity is interesting and healthy. But, but, not if it leads to aggressive division in society. That's when it becomes a problem. Now, this is much more than a religious problem. This, this is a societal problem. Diversity is good. It's the way we've been made. We are not all the same. Therefore, we think differently all, about all sorts of matter of things in our lives, about how is the right way to do something and so on. And it happens in families, but it happens across broader, broader sections of community as well. And, and it's necessary and it's interesting and it's good and it's healthy, but not if it leads to degree, aggressive division. Truth. Let's have a look in John chapter 18. 
You all know this, but it's such such a remarkable, <laughs> remarkably applicable, it always has been, um, question. Well, this is where John writes about Jesus having this uh, discussion, we'll call it, with, uh, with Pontius Pilate. And uh, we'll read verse, just two verses, 37 and 38. <clears throat> All right, John eighteen thirty seven. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. There's a statement. And Pilate asks man's perennial, really everlasting question, what is truth? A good question, isn't it? What is truth? Everyone's of the truth, hears my voice. So there's an interesting little thing there about being of the truth before you hear his voice or having a capacity to hear the truth. So it's just an interesting way of saying it is being of the truth, hears my voice. I'm not sure, I can't, I'm sure that I was not of the truth before I heard his voice. But clearly there was something in me, as it was in all of you, there was something in you, so that when you heard his voice, you recognised it as truth. So these are really interesting things to think about here. Yesterday, I was reading the magazine of the Australian newspaper and on the cover, some of you might have got it, in big, bold type, was the truth is out there. Clearly asking a question. And there was a drawing of a labyrinth with a man in a labyrinth, an incredible detailed labyrinth, you see. The truth is out there. And inside the article, there was an article that was called Into the Labyrinth. And it was about how do you find truth? And it talked about the whole spectrum, particularly of social media now, and blogs and conspiracy theories, and yes, fake news, and Twitter and lies and exaggeration and all the stuff that's, that's around us in the various forms of media how to find truth. And I wrote down two parts, quite a long article, talking about how do we find truth. So I'm going to read two things to you from that article. Quote, the phrase post-truth, post-truth, okay, has entered the lexicon to describe a world in which people no longer share a consensus view of reality when anyone with a Facebook account can become a publisher with a global audience, how do we distinguish fact from fiction? Question. And a second quote a little bit later in the article, public surveys increasingly show that faith in the media, government and business is plummeting. 
attributed to anxiety caused by chaotic world events and a lack of objective facts and rational discourse. We're looking at a world where truth is now thrown out the window and conspiracy is now seemingly the centre. I found this article really interesting. And believe it or not, there are lots and lots of people that still believe we live on a flat earth. They, they do, I'll tell you, they can prove it. Of course they can't. Fake, it's, you know, I won't go into that. It's confusing. I mean, it really, what is going on, because of uh, social media particularly, is absolute chaos as far as understanding actually what is actually happening, let alone trying to interpret it into, your, into how it applies in your own life. All right, so back to what we're on about. The fundamental, the key to believing that Jesus is the truth as he said he was and the proof of God is and always has been the individual personal experience. In other words, the proof, if you hear or read something, if you can prove it by your own, you can experience, by your own personal experience, then you will know that is true. That is a simple statement, isn't it? It needs to be proven to you. It's not just something you've read for somebody you think might know more about it than you do or whatever it is. If you can prove it by your own experience, then you know that it is true, whatever, it, whatever this happens to be. And that's what's so wonderful about what God has given us in his word and it's why the things that we read in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 are so still so critically important today. And I'm going to remind you, because what we've got here, what we've got in the Bible and what we've got in our own experience is the only way that you can without doubt know that something is the truth. Not just because somebody else has told you but because you can experience it, and all the people said, then you know it's true. So that's why Jesus, when he told them to wait in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, you know it well, but I'll just remind you about what is the principle here. We, we, we're going to have to hang on to this. We really are. Uh, as, as this whole mess to do with what's going on in the political and social spectrum of the world everywhere, as that gets worse and worse, we are going to have to hang on to this with all that we've got. So Jesus told them to wait, being assembled together with him. Verse 4, chapter 1 of Acts, assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which I told you about, which he said you've heard me. So they didn't really know what that promise was. <coughs> he went on to explain it, but they didn't actually understand it until they got it, a bit like you and me. For John truly baptised with water, you shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And then verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world. Paraphrasing it. So he said that's what was going to happen. And of course, in Acts chapter 2, it did happen. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they did speak in other tongues. And they had, an, they had this 
collective ex and individual wonderful experience of being filled with the Spirit as you and I have. And then Peter stood up and spoke the truth of what he had seen before, his experiences with Jesus during the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, and then what had happened to Jesus on the cross and what had happened to him and the others with him, verses 14 all the way through to 38. And I won't read it because you know there. But he spoke about the prophet Joel, didn't he? He spoke about, in verse 22, for example, he spoke about what happened to Jesus. He spoke out of the fulfilment of prophecy. He spoke about David prophesying. And he spoke about Joel. And in verse 33, he said, that we have received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he had, and he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. So he knew it was true by his own personal experience. And he said in verse 32, I skipped it, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So he, you know, he saw him during the time of his ministry. He saw him die and he saw him again after he was raised up out of the grave. And now that's been reconfirmed to him by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's absolutely no doubt he spoke out of his personal witness experience. People stand in the witness box in courtrooms all the time and say, I will speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And everybody knows they're going to speak the truth that is, in inverted commas, that's most appropriate for their situation. Don't they? Of course they do. But we say it all the time. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, we have got a particular personal experience truth that we can say is the whole truth about God and the resurrected Christ and the Holy Ghost and all the people said. All right, so we can do it. Nothing's changed. We are, we are, we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, but the Holy Ghost has told us and confirmed to us that Jesus was raised up out of the grave on the third day. He has confirmed that to us, there is no doubt. So he mustn't be shaken by particular circumstance. Our sister was talking about something like this, where in difficult circumstance outcomes the need and the ability and the conviction to speak the truth of God. Jesus himself spoke about these things, about doctrine and about truth. So this is in the context not only of our, the way society is, but the way um, religion is worldwide, and particularly Christianity. So let's just look at a couple of, I've got three or four references here, um, about some of the things that Jesus said about this particular matter. So John chapter 6 the discussion there, verses uh, 53 onwards, about when he was talking about the, he was the living bread and how people had to eat, eat of that bread. And he said into in verse 53 words that they didn't understand. And when he said to them, 
that truly, truly, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood and so on has eternal life. So, of course, I couldn't understand that. And later, later on, you know it, verse 63, same chapter, he said it is the spirit that quickens or brings to life. The flesh doesn't profit anything. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So it's the word, it's the doctrine, it's the teaching. That's what produces life. That's what produces life. He spoke about that. In the same chapter, verse 66, some of them disciples were troubled. They couldn't cope for various reasons with what he was saying to them. In verse 66, it says this, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were struggling to believe what he was saying. It's interesting, isn't it? They'd, they'd seen miracles, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. So the personal proof that observing something is one thing, but somehow that's not enough. We have to, we have to receive it ourselves. Anyway, so they, some went away and then said Jesus to the twelve, what about you? Are you going to stay with me or are you going to go away as well? And then Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Peter got it, even though he had his struggles later on as well. He actually got it. You have the words of life, the truth, the doctrine, the teaching. Anne and I like, like to look at it as a little, as a sort of comedy program on, I think it's on UK TV. It's called Truth or Lie. And, you, and there's still two, two panels and people say things and the other panel of three have to decide whether this person is telling the truth or a lie about all sorts of strange circumstances. And, and they're very funny. <clears throat> but that's a question, truth or lie? Is it true that Jesus was raised from the dead? Is it true that Jesus was the son of God who didn't have a natural father but somehow in, in Mary's womb... The seed of God came to create life and, a, and a, a human being called Jesus who was also son of God came. Is that truth or lie? All these sort of questions, they're good, they're legitimate questions. Truth or lie? John 7, Jesus said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. About doctrine. And then John 12 verses 44 to 50 again I've just got a little excerpt the word that I have spoken Jesus said the same shall judge him in the last day and in John 17 in that prayer in the garden of Gethsemane sanctify them through your truth Jesus said to God sanctify them through your truth your word is truth All right, so I'm really hammering it here <clears throat> I know I am but what is truth? The confusion about truth, you don't, when you read the newspaper or look at a blog on Facebook or something or other, you have got no idea whether it's actually true or not. No idea. It might sound incredibly convincing. So, where do we turn? 
something that is eternal, something that is not changing, immutable. There's a million opinions about everything every day. You can go nuts trying to work your way through it. So, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. What have I written here? Therefore, we do not reinterpret, this is now back to the scripture, we do not reinterpret according to increase in knowledge or private revelation, so-called, or so-called leading of the spirit. God is, if we believe in a God who's created a zillion universes and has never and has always existed, why can't we believe that he's got some words here together that we can read? That seems ridiculous to me. Of course, if if we believe that, then we must believe that he can do that. So we're not going to reinterpret, not going to change it. Some of it's hard to accept and understand. Did Jesus walk on the water? Yes, he did. Was Lazarus raised from the dead? Yes, he was. Was a blind man healed? Yes, he was. Was a deaf man? Yes, he was. Because the truth of God says so. And while I might not not understand it, and I certainly don't understand how out of nothing God creates a billion or a zillion or whatever it is, universes, that's not relevant. Because I know when I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a tent down at Aladala on December the 30th, 1974, was true a long time ago. That was true. That was the experience, and I'll never, ever forget it, regardless of other things that might happen that I do not understand. And the same goes for you. 1 Corinthians 1.10 talks to the church, Paul writes, and tells the church to talk, to say the same things, to keep to the fundamentals and don't change what God, the doctrine that God has given (coughs) into changed by private interpretation so that there becomes division and dispute. If we speak the same thing, if we speak the fundamentals, the simplicity of the gospel, then that gives God the chance by us speaking his word to convict so that people will be convicted of their sin. Again, our sister spoke about that. This little girl didn't. Later on, much later on, it actually came to her. But actually, the separation from God is actually a state of sin, even though she mightn't, when she was six years old or whatever, she mightn't have robbed a bank or whatever it was. She was separated from God, which is sin. You don't have to complicate it with the details of, of what a particular sin is, a, a little sin or a big sin or any of that. You're either joined with God or we're not, and separation from God is sin. So people, if we speak the truth, there's conviction about that separation. Now it can be convicted that Jesus is the truth, the way to God, and they get a conviction that a sacrifice of a man for the sin of another man, more than one man, but all men and women, is actually an incredibly wonderful sacrifice of love. Greater love is no man. There's no man this and he laid down his life for his friend and he, he died for us when we were not his friends. So as we speak the truth, that can, God, it gives God the chance to bring that conviction. <coughs> and then people will come to the point where they accept <coughs> that the teaching that they're hearing 
is immutable truth and they will act upon it. With the, the little natural faith that we as human beings actually have. And there are further warnings in the scripture. Have a look in a second about hanging on to the way uh, living our life in the way that the Bible gives us uh, the power to live. In Second John and uh, chapter chapter verses nine to ten, Second John, whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. So receiving and believing it is one thing, abiding in it is another. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. He has the Father. The I am who was always, is always, has been and is always there. Welcome to eternity, everybody. Welcome to eternity. And so we are warned also about attacks on the truth. Romans 16 verse 17 talks about people who teach and walk according to another doctrine. He tells, tells us there, Romans 16 17, to be careful and to avoid those people. And in Galatians 1, it says twice, Paul warns about people bringing another doctrine, another gospel, and he says, let them be accursed. Stay away. There is one gospel. Now, you either believe it or you don't. You have the capacity to believe it because of the things I've been saying today, because you, like me, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The proofs, what's that, what's that expression? The proof is in the pudding or something? You know, it's the actual experience that is the clincher. It is not just opinion. There are a million truths out there. What about this particular time? You can look at it if you like, but if you look through and you know Matthew 24, that chapter at the end of Matthew, it talks about the times that we are living in now. And I've added a few things myself, but these things are in those verses 3 through to 27, 28 or something of Matthew 24. There are wars, afflictions, pestilence, distress. It says there's nothing happened like it before. <laughs> there is great tribulation not the great tribulation, just great tribulation, <clears throat> false Christs, false prophets, and I've added a few here, political charlatans, I don't care which side you want to pick, militant Islam, neo-Marxism is making a rise. Some of you involved in universities would know that's going on. Fake news, bloggers of every sort, extremes of diversity that are beginning to divide society. I don't know whether it's true or not because of the things I've been saying earlier, but I read or saw recently um, apparently in parts of Birmingham in northern England, there's an area in there where the police don't go into and it's running completely according to Sharia law. You say, I don't know whether it's true, I only read it. What's happening, we... It's happening in this country too. It is starting to happen. We, we, we're, not, we're, we're changing from multicultural to multi-society. 
In other words, it's not a lot of different cultures which are interesting and wonderful within one society. But this division beginning to happen based on race and in religion. It's a very difficult time and it's very sad that it's happening. That's what's wonderful. I was just thinking as I was driving over this morning. That's what's so wonderful about the work, the family of God because it is a family and it doesn't matter what our race or our culture or any of that thing is, before we come to the Lord, we become one in Christ. That is just so wonderful and it is so opposite to what is to the divisions that are recurring in society because of race and culture and religion. It's just wonderful. We are very fortunate to be in the family of God. And in Matthew 24, there is also the promise of God that he will intervene and not allow man to destroy the earth for the elect's sake, those of us who have been elected into the family of God. So, to finish, how should we be? I love these little verses in Jude. Jude's a good, great little book. It's a really plain speaking, clear little book at the end of, of, uh, of the Bible, just before the Revelation. So I'm going to read a few verses here. Verse 3 of Jude. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it's, common, it's the same one and common to all of us. It was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. So put your salvation experience into practice in your life by exercising faith, just like those men and women in the Old Testament who had not the spirit exercised faith. It's a real challenge to do that sometimes. Faith in adversity, faith when things are not seeming to be going the way you think God should make them go for you and so on. Earnestly contend. And then we'll read from verse, this is the answer to a question, how should we be? Verse 14 says this. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, talking about a particular sort of people, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed which uh, and of the, all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's and purses in admiration because of advantage. The few leaders around the world who uh, speak great swelling words every day and tweet till the cows cut. No, no. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they, that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. I mean, this is really strong stuff. These they be who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up your most holy, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. 
keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal. That's how we should be, building up ourselves in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Yes, pray in English or whatever other your, your native language might be, but pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit, verse 20 says we pray in the Holy Ghost, which is praying in tongues in order to build up our faith. So today is the day of salvation. That applies to every day. Every day. Today is the day of salvation. Hold on to that truth. Think about truth. Think about truth in the context of the world we're living in and make sure... You don't get distracted. I'm speaking to myself about this because I can get easily distracted by getting annoyed at some of the things that I see and read and hear. And I've got to stop doing it and, fa- and focus on the things that I've been to. So I'm saying this today, really, because as usual, most, most, most talks are actually, you give them to yourself. Don't you? You do. You just do. <laughs> because they're relevant to you. So you want to reinforce these things to yourself as well as hopefully to some others. Today's the day of salvation. I don't know if there's anybody here who's not been, who's not repented, not been baptized, not been filled with the Holy Spirit. But if there isn't, I do hope and pray that you, you're here because you've got belief in God. You're here because you believe that the Bible is the truth and the doctrinal and, the, and the, str- the straight meaning, the direct, unchanging doctrinal teaching of God, respond to it, come out to the prayer line and do something about it. Amen.